Good evening and welcome to our evening service. It's good to have you folks here this evening. Some are joining us on Zoom and we welcome you as well. It has been a blessed day. We welcome uh, Pastor Steve Hamburger with us again this evening. He was with us this morning and we are thankful for that. We appreciated the message. Uh, Linda, his wife, was unable to be with him this weekend. Tells me that she just wasn't feeling well. So let's pray for her as well. The Lord was have, have his good hand upon her. Now, Steve, we don't do this for everyone. We're glad to have Steve with us, Pastor Steve, with us tonight again. We'll ask him to come now and read the scripture and lead us in prayer, if you would, brother. Great to have this time of fellowship again with you and uh, rejoice in the Lord together. Uh, this has been the day that the Lord has made and we will rejoice, be glad in it. We're going to be skipping around through the book of Judges, chapters 6 and 7, and uh, you can follow along with it if you have your Bibles there, Judges chapter 6. We will begin to begin reading at uh, <clears throat> verse 1, and then moving on into other texts. <clears throat> and the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. And because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them the dens which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. And so it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites came up and the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they came up against them. And they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth. Till thou come unto Gaza and left no substance for Israel, neither sheep, nor oxen, nor ass. For they came up with their cattle and their tents, and they came as grasshoppers for multitude. For both they and their camels were without number. And they entered into the land to destroy it. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. We then come down to verse 11. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak which was in Ophrah that pertained to Joash, the Abizarite. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles? which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent thee? We then move over to chapter 7. And beginning to read at verse 7. And the Lord said unto Gideon, 
By the three hundred men that laughed, will I save you, and deliver the Midianites into thine hand, and let all the other people go, every man unto his place. So the people took victuals in their hand and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man unto his tent, and retained those three hundred men. And the host of Midian was beneath him in the valley. We then move now to verse 19. So Gideon and the, the hundred men that were with him came onto the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch. And they had but newly set the watch. And they blew the trumpets and brake the pitchers that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets and brake the pitchers and held the lamps in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands to blow withal. And they cried, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And they stood, every man in his place round about the camp. And all the host ran and cried and fled. And the three hundred blew the trumpets, and the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow, even throughout all the host, and the host fled to Beth Shittah and Zerarath, and to the border of Abel Meholah, unto Tabath. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Would you join with me as we pray together? Heavenly Father, thank you for this moment of opportunity to enter into your presence with people of like faith and mind coming from various aspects of life to explore, to discover, to renew, to wait upon the hand of the Lord. We thank you that you have said that as we gather in your name, you are in the midst of our lives. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, that sometimes when we have felt very alone, in reality, we have never been alone, for you are there by our side. With the indwelling of your Spirit, you are inside us, around us. And we thank you that you hold us in the palm of your hand as your children who have put their faith and trust in you. And you said, I will never let you go. Thank you for holding on to us. For that you can do so much better than even we can ever hold on to you. Once again, we pray in this day that you would forgive us our trespasses. As we forgive those who trespass against us. We live in a very challenging world that is around us. We do wonder what the future holds. We are so thankful that you are the one who holds our future and the future of this world in your hands. We are worried sometimes at the turns of society and the ways of things. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would give us a peace that passes all understanding that will not only bring calmness and, and a rootedness in our lives, 
but also be a witness to a world that is very frazzled, very worried, not knowing what is up or what is down, in a society that continues to bring confusion rather than order. We thank you that you have given us that sense of order in you and through your word. We thank you that we can bring before you those as loved ones and friends, acquaintances, people we study with, work with, live around. Some who know you and some who do not, but we can bring them in our minds and in our hearts before you for the needs that they represent. The touch of God upon their lives in every way. We pray your continued hand upon this assembly. May this group of your people continue to sense the direction in which you would have for them to go as they seek spiritual leadership from someone that you would call to this place. Continue to give direction to those in leadership and those who serve in so many seen or even unseen ways by the general public. But have done this as unto you. We are blessed through them and we are thankful for them. The gifting that you have given, the purpose in their hearts to serve you, that we are partners together in the Lord. Thank you that we can lay these petitions at your feet to our God who is always there to hear and to answer prayer. We commit these mercies into your hands. In the worthy name of Jesus Christ, we pray. All God's people said, Amen. Not only is he technician, he's a preacher's kid, and he's a treasurer. And very forgetful. <laughs> and he runs so much of the machinery around here, doesn't he? And is much appreciated. <clears throat> Being able to speak is a real privilege. To speak on behalf of God is a huge responsibility. Because when I go at the end of the day, consider what has been said, I hope that you haven't all fallen asleep. I hope that you've picked up some nuggets. But above all else, I do an accounting with my God. And we discuss how things have gone as what he intends to do. And I trust that God will bless in the giving of his word through this day as we have shared it together. But oh, I know us preachers can talk and I have some very challenging news with regard to me. I am getting two wisdom teeth taken out. I hope I have been able to give you some wisdom today because should I be able to come back, I will be a man who lacks wisdom. <laughs> the uh, dental surgeon has said he is going to put me out and I'm glad for that. I don't want anybody pulling at me while I'm awake. I might bite back. But he has said, well, Steve, there's going to be three days of pain. 
And I said, well, you know, uh, I do public speaking. He said, well, I tell you right now for a week, three days of pain. And he said, after that, a week of no public speaking. Linda is excited. (laughs) There will be such harmony at our household because she will definitely always be right. And, uh, and I trust that uh, you will maybe even consider having this toothless man come back and share in the things of the Lord. But I'm so grateful for those who are skilled in their tasks to look after us as they do. Let us bow in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us your word. This Bible before us is your love letter to describe who you are to us, what we mean to you, your path to bring peace between you and us as sinners through Jesus Christ the Lord. From the earliest book to the end of Revelation, You declare, you are the way, you are the truth, and you are the life. We are thankful for our Savior Jesus. And we pray, Lord, that as we look into this Old Testament portion of Scripture, that you would guide us into those things that would inspire us, challenge us, give us hope, Help us to land on solid ground and to stand on solid ground in these very shaky days. Because we would want it to be for your honor and glory. We know it will be then for our own good and for the healing of a nation and of nations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, today... Tonight, I would like to look at the idea of the God encounters of the real kind. Now, I have my four eyes here that I need for a little bit here. Today, tonight, I feel inspired that I would like to tell you and to talk with you about getting real and finding reality in the things of God. You see, Christianity was never meant to be a dry religious system. It was always meant to be vibrant. I remember an an illustration that came. It was a little sketch of two very dour-looking people, pioneer people. And it said, You can smile if you are a Christian. That is the way God has always wanted us to be. People who know how to laugh. And I can hear in this congregation, you know how to laugh. You know how to enjoy, to celebrate. That is a wonderful thing. 
I remember years ago when I was in ministry in North Bay, a person came as a guest. I had known them before. And they came to sort of check out what our church was like, what a, what a Baptist church was like. And after the service, uh, and uh, I was standing at the back, they left very quickly and shook my hand, and we talked a little bit and was gone. But during the week afterwards, or it was a couple of weeks after, we were talking, and he said, I don't understand what's going on in your church. He said, in the way that I have been raised, you do your thing, you go in, you go out. You don't talk to anybody. You just do your own stuff. And then you go out. And he said, I left the service. I had done my thing. And I walked out. And he said, as I'm walking down the street, I look back. And nobody was going out. He said, I walked farther. And he said, there still wasn't anybody. He said, I thought, is the service over? Because, because nobody's coming out. Well, the reason they weren't coming out was because there was so much life within that they were still enjoying before they could go out. Christianity was never meant to be a dry, a dry religious system. You come in, you do your duty, and you get out. And then you get on with the real life. No, it was always meant to be the life. It has always been meant to be alive, powerful, purposeful, passionate, able to stimulate our minds, our emotions, and even our bodies. And ah, oh boy, I've been in enough cultural places where I have seen the, the excitement uh, when we were, Linda and I were for a while uh, teaching in South Africa. At a seminary, Linda was doing the ESL and English as a second language, but also library studies because the Zulus, they really did not have that kind of an education in a day gone by. We went there just post-apartheid. And, uh, and I did some of the seminary Bible studies. But I remember being in some of those churches, and I tell you, no ushers there were collecting the offering not at all, and I am not a person of rhythm. But I tell you, you would have your offering in hand. The, uh, the plates, uh, the uh, receiving plates were at the front. They would have one or two or three people sitting at the desk. They counted the offering there. And, uh, and you would have to go up with rhythm. And I tell you, I have no rhythm. And everybody, we were the only uh, uh, foreigners, actually, I think in that church, we were the only white ones at that point in time. And they know that we don't have the rhythm they have in their culture. And I think we were the entertainment that day. As we went up, to, and Linda had to do the same thing. We couldn't have one person do it. Everybody had to go up. And we had to go up and do the moves and give the offering. And then we had to go back that way. And, uh, but I tell you, they were alive. And if there's one thing Zulus know how to do is they know how to sing. Oh my goodness. We, uh, we would go to many a Zulu service. 
And a lot of them were in schools because they weren't allowed to have their own church buildings for a long time. And I remember uh, Zulu women usually start the service just from the congregation and then they follow along. And uh, I remember uh, sitting and there were some Zulu people behind us and a Zulu woman started to sing the songs. And I tell you, it was beautiful, but so powerful that I said to Linda afterwards, I my ears are ringing and I have a headache. I thought I might have to leave the service because it is just so painful. But they were alive. They were alive. And God has called us to a life that is one full of life. As we talked about this much uh, this morning, God does not care so much of the whole aspect of religion, actually. He is into relationships, and he's into developing the things that will build that relationship between you and I. And so it certainly is uh, that Christianity is not just a case of following a bunch of rules. And it's not just about getting a ticket so I could go to heaven. Although it is a case that there are guidelines and rules of how to live as a faithful person in the family of God. And it is a way in which we know that when we receive Jesus as Savior, we can say with the Apostle Paul, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But it's not just those things. It is a life. Now, I'd like to suggest to you that there are three kinds of people. One I would call the fake Christians. The second one I would call the fringe Christians. The third I would call as the fired-up Christians. And I would say to you that in the group of disciples that Jesus had, he had these three. There was the fake Christian. They hang around sometimes to go to church because uh, they'll find a boyfriend or a girlfriend there. So, you know, it's a, it's a place to find somebody that might make a good life partner. Or they may just like the, the lingo, the Christianese, I call it. You know, uh, bless you. What does bless you mean? Bless the missionaries. What does that mean? It's Christianese. It's true. We ask for blessings. But what do we mean when we use some of these kinds of things? And uh, they, may, they may just love the terms. But what the Bible said of some of them is, you are like white tombstones. You are beautiful on the outside, but you're full of dead bones on the inside. There's something lacking in that. The fake Christian. Judas Iscariot, who we looked at a little bit this morning, would be in this category. You would see him in the assembly. You would see him singing the hymns or songs that were part of the Jewish faith. They, he would be doing the practices. He would try to be following through with the rituals. He, 
was the treasurer. And he did so many things that were just part of, of leadership amongst the disciples. They would have said, for sure, he's the real deal. But he wasn't. He was what you would call a fake Christian. And as I was so challenged in my youth, because as I told you, I, I was raised in church stuff, and I knew all the lingo and all the meetings we went to. But the verse that really challenged me as a teenager was when the, Jesus said, not all those that say, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom. And you, they will say, but did we not do this? And did we not do miracles? And did we not do... And Jesus said, I never knew you. Those were challenging words for me because it challenged me to say, Steve, are you just playing the game? Are you just, are you just in the season? Are you, are you in the hen house, but not a hen? Or are you the real deal? And it did help me to make my decision to find Jesus Christ as Savior. But then there are those fringe Christians. And I was one of those as well. I knew too well the church language and I and had the born-again experience, but it didn't seem like it went any further. And we see that with the disciples. Now, I don't know how I would want to push them so far into this category, but we do know this. There were three disciples that were always wanting more from Jesus. Do you remember who they are? Peter, James, John. What about Nathaniel? What about Thaddeus and, and uh, others that were there? What about them? Well, they were in there, but they weren't deeply in there. And there are those of us who may be quite contented to just be on the edges. We're in, but not deeply in. And I really personally had to be shaken about that because as a teenager, I actually, and I knew I was, at this point I had made a decision for the Lord, but I had no burden for others, none. And I felt okay with that, being that secret believer in my high school. And, and uh, I did all the church stuff, but I kept all the other stuff separate and sort of hidden from everybody else that was maybe not a part of my church family. Until we had this one girl come into our youth group and she messed with my head because she kept, she was in my grade in high school in some of most of my classes and she would invite people from the school to our youth group and they started to see me there and they said Steve I didn't know you went to church and I, I went oh, yeah. oops <laughs> but through that God challenged me to say Steve what that girl has for others you need to and thankfully God responded to that prayer and helped me to develop a love for others that they might come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. 
and follow in the steps of the Lord. And there were many disciples that were part of the team, but not as deeply into the team. Because, you see, Jesus really has no favorites. We are all welcome to come as close to him as he will let well he will let everybody as close as we want to be to him. And so what I realize isn't that Jesus picked Peter, James, and John to be close to him. But there were some of those disciples that were willing to say, we don't want to be on the fringe. We want to be close. We want the real deal experience. And they were fired up in the Lord and saw things and felt things and discovered things that the other ones never, never could discover. Imagine some of those experiences. Peter, James, and John on the mountain of transfiguration. And there they see Jesus transformed. And those that came with him on that mountain, they're discussing things that were to happen to Jesus, the Messiah, the, the Son of God. And they were there. They could feel the vibration of God. They could feel the holiness of that moment. They missed some of it, but they could be there to, to gain that experience because they were willing to go. They were willing to be near. With this in mind, I want to launch into a story that we read today from the book of Judges in Ch Judges chapter 6 about the man called Gideon. The background, well, in the book of Judges, it really runs through this cycle that I have up here. It just goes like this again and again and again. It starts with the people serving God and following after him. Then after a while, maybe the next generation or so on, they start to slip, they start to move, and they start leaving God as the center of their interest and their priorities and their focus to choosing idols and bringing them into their lives. Then from there, they move to the next step and they become slaves in their own country as there are invasions that move and attack them in the land. Then in the midst of their agony and suffering, they cry out to God in their suffering and God hears their suffering and then he then sends a judge. And that judge is there with the purpose of rescuing these people who have cried unto God and he brings them from this captivity and slavery and suffering into then deliverance. And once again, the people are serving God. And then they slip again and they go through the cycle again and they go through it again. And this is the story that comes out of Judges and Gideon is a part of it. But the part that I want to note in particular, as we look at this whole idea of realizing, um, realizing God in, in all this story here and our perspective, we want to take, first of all, a bit of, of a review uh, from Gideon's perspective. 
And as you look in uh, Judges chapter 6, you can see how Gideon uh, is standing out from his crowd because he's in the midst of bringing in harvest while others were giving up because the enemy would see the harvest being taken and they would just bring their armies and take all the stuff that had been harvested and take it with them and the Israelites were left with nothing. And you will note that Gideon is not on the hill where you usually do the threshing because that's where the wind would blow. So you throw the wheat up in the air, the wind blows the chaff away, the wheat falls down, everything's good. No, Gideon, as, as strong as he is going to bring a harvest home, he goes into a lower spot and he's throwing up the wheat. Well, what happens when there's no wind? The wheat comes down and the chaff goes there and he's starting to look like a scarecrow. But he is doing something that others are not. In the midst of that, God then comes and says, Gideon, mighty man of valor. Now that's a very interesting perspective because I want you to think what Gideon must have looked like. He would have been sweating. He would have been covered with chaff. He would have had so much dirt under his fingernails. He would have never. He would have had the dirtiest sandals. He'd never be able to eat at home until he really got a thorough wash. He would have looked a sight. And God looks at him and says, you know what? You are an amazing man. Gideon was a person that we want to note as a person who was willing to take a chance in doing the right thing. If we are going to understand God encounters of the real kind, there are certain things that need to be in our lives if we are going to move from fake to fringe to fired up. And it is this. We must be willing to take a chance to do the right thing. How many times have we gone the easy route? How many times have we cho chosen the safe route? The thing is, is it's God's choice for you. True story from many years ago of a missionary family. They were in some, um, like Indonesia, somewhere in that area. Don't remember exactly the land. But they were a young family. And they had two small boys. And they had snakes all over the property. Poisonous snakes. And those little boys wanted to just play wherever. And the parents said, these children are too small, it's too dangerous. I think we need to go back to the United States where it'll be safer. Because here a snake could bite them and they'd be gone. So they decided as a young family that that's exactly what they would do. And they moved back to the United States and found a place that they called home. One day, turned out the little boys were playing under their house. And all of a sudden, the parents could hear a scream. 
They ran outside, the father ran outside in particular, and ran outside and found that the one boy of the two had been bitten by a poisonous snake. He was in shock. He grabbed that boy, threw him into the car as fast as he could, jumped into the car. His wife stayed at the doorway. The other boy was still down in the area. He jumped into the car and he needed to back up and then go. In the tense moment, in the fright of what had happened, he backed up the car and did not realize the other boy was behind the car. He hit that little boy and dashed off ahead with the boy in the car. The mother was standing at the door and she saw her little boy being hit by the car and he died there. The father took the car with the little boy and rushed as fast as he could to the nearest hospital to get the care that he could give for that little boy. But the little boy did not make it and he died en route to the hospital. What a tragic story. What a sad story. But I do have to ask this. Where is the safest place for you and for me? Is it where I choose? Or is it where God chooses? It's a question we need to ask. And that we cannot make a decision for someone else. Because we stand to God alone. But are we like Gideon? Willing to take a chance in doing the right thing. I can't remember the name of the lady missionary. I'm sure it'll come to me afterwards when you are not going to be listening. And uh, she went from England to Africa. In those days, you, your suitcase was a coffin because you never expected that you would be coming back. And so she was packed with her things in this coffin and they took the trip down to Africa. And she was there, the single woman uh, amongst a whole tribe of very um, aggressive people. And she had a little compound house situation where she lived. But what she noted was that uh, drunkenness was very common amongst the natives. And one day as she, it was night and they had been drinking around the fire. They got all fired up and they started to grab weapons and they decided that it was time for them to attack this missionary, kill her or do whatever with her. And she was all alone. But she could hear their voices as they were starting to come in a drunken Melee going towards where she was. And she prayed to God. You got to do it. 
my life is in your hands. She tells a story that they came to a certain distance. I think she could even see some of the fires and things as they were carrying torches and whatever. But they stopped and turned back. She could not understand why. When things had calmed down the next day or so, she was able to go amongst the villagers and they asked her, who were those people that surrounded your compound? She said, what people? I'm here by myself. They said, we were coming and your place was surrounded by people and, uh, and we knew we could go no further. Who were those people? I think I know. And I think you know too. They were the angels of the Lord that surrounded the camp and kept this servant safe. You see, Gideon was a man. He was a person who was willing to take a chance in doing the right thing. And in that, God saw the possibilities of giving him a real encounter of himself. There's something else about Gideon. Gideon was ready to do the heavy lifting and to be uncomfortable. God reveals himself to the workers, not the shirkers. Just for us to say, when God decides he's going to move, I want to see this because I want to get pumped up and, and, and invigorated. Until then, I'm sort of in the comfortable pew of life. Gideon shows us to have a real encounter with God. He had to be ready to do the heavy lifting and to be uncomfortable. And God saw him do that. And as the Bible says, he that is faithful in little is faithful in much. There's something else about Gideon. Gideon was a messed up man in his spiritual thinking. If you think that he was just a holier, wonderful, perfect type of person, he was not. And you can see afterwards some of the great mistakes that he got into. You see, he was human like you and I, but he was open to learning and hearing the voice of God and the directions. And when we are ready to do that, no matter where we are in our lives and in our thinking and in our ways, but when God sees that we are open to him, he will open himself to us. And so we come to the scriptures here and we see, for example, in these verses, God's perspective. And he sees the potential of this particular individual in the hands of God. And the reality, as well as the reality of what is, he is working with. And is willing to work with that. You see... He's willing to work with each one of us wherever we are if we follow some of these things and reveal to us more of himself. 
And isn't that we have to be the holiest person? You don't have to be the pastor or some seminary graduate, but you do have to have those kinds of things that we saw in Gideon. And thus, when we see that and God sees that in us, there's something that he is ready to work with. And he is willing to make himself known to the person who is willing to seek and serve him. If that is in your heart, then God's heart is towards you that he would then open things further. And we see that in the life of Gideon here. And to the willing servant, God will continue to be willing uh, uh, to be with him in a willing way as well. And with these things, we can see the opening of the door of a God encounter of a real kind. Something that makes our faith not just some ritual, some just a meaningless tradition, well, we've always done it and why not do it again? But something that's alive, something that's vibrant, something that is active and something that is real. And when we have received that, that is what the world is looking for. And that is what the younger generation is looking for. Is there life within this body of believers? Is there life within my life? Is there an experience of God that is real? Is there a moment that they can say without what they have, I now lack and I want that as they have it? Paul himself spoke in these matters. The difference in Gideon's life from the others of his generation is that he had a real encounter with God. And so I'm reminded of the words of Paul, his desire. I want to know Christ. Not just a little bit of knowledge here, but to know him. And anybody who's hung around with me after a while, oh, they know me so well. It can be embarrassing sometimes. Uh, my friend Dennis was here this morning and he could tell me all kinds. He reminded me of stories I was trying to forget of things that had been a part of our journey spiritually and otherwise together. I want to know Jesus. And I want to know the power, that power of his that brought him from death to life. I want to become like him in his death with being so close to him in that and that somehow attaining onto the resurrection from the dead, that, that life that he, Jesus has, that it would be part of my experience as well. I don't want to be a fake Christian. I don't want to be a fringe Christian. I want to have a God encounter of a real kind. And that is the faith journey that I want to have. What about you? What you want? Something that's alive and real? I want a Bible that is, to me, a living book. One where God really speaks to me through his word. I want my prayers to really connect whether I get the requests that I ask or not, I just want to know that I'm in tune with God and he's in tune with me in prayer. I want to have my tasks 
that are done not in my power, but in His power. I want to have a worship that tingles my very body with the sense that God is before me as I sing in worship. But if I'm going to reach that way, there's something that I must be willing to say to Jesus, to the God of my life. Tough words. Anytime, God, anytime, I give it to you as your time. Anywhere, wherever it may be, may it be where you want me to be. Anything, Lord, I don't know what it might be, but if you are calling me into that, anything, are you ready to say that to God? Anywhere, anything, anytime. When we come to that place of surrender, rendering to Him our generous life, whatever we have, we then become, and I've used the word, a missional life. A life that has purpose, direction, and place in the kingdom of God for His glory that will allow Him to come alongside in our lives and be real as He encounters us in a real way. This is me just when the dinosaurs were, were failing off the earth and the earth's crust was hardening. I was a young pastor. That's my dog, Scamp. Loved to be outside. I bring you this picture because we were, I'd say, Sobble, Sobble Beach on Lake Huron. And it was an encounter with God that I will never forget. I had been in ministry in North Bay for a while, but for some reason, and I can't even fully say what that was, I can't quite fully remember, but it was a huge, dark place in my life, a huge, dark valley. And I didn't know if I would have the ability to keep on keeping on. just didn't. And so I spent the time with the Lord over that as I was going through all the things that need to be done in pastoral ministry. But it was a dark place. I had a boarder at the time, Rob Cole, great guy, and we together did many things. One of them was to go on a holiday. We went to Sobble Beach. There we rented a cottage. He did not know what kind of a mood that I was in. But I was in a dark place. Not knowing if I could get out of this valley to have what would sustain me for the future in pastoral ministry. And it seemed that it came down as I was thinking about it and praying about it. There were two things that God seemed to bring me back to. And it was this. Not that I didn't know it but I needed to know it. And it was this. God, I need to know that you are the God of all power. Now I knew it 
I mean, you know, I preached on it many times. But for me now, I needed to know it. The second thing was I needed to know that God was the God of impeccable timing. Those were the two things that seemed to hang on to me. I needed them, and I wasn't getting them at this point, but I felt if I could get them, it would resolve this dark valley I was in and help me to keep going on. So I'm here in Sable Beach. I had a Mustang, and I do love sports cars. I had a Mustang. I could tell you more detail about it, but then that's too worldly. So I had a Mustang, and I drove it onto Sable Beach. Now, you know I'm in a mood. I'm in a dark place. I drove on Sable Beach, and I paid no attention to things, and the car got stuck in the sand. I couldn't move it forward. I couldn't move it backwards. I was in a state. I had Rob and I, we got out and started to push it back and forth and everything, and I thought, oh boy, if I was down, now I've gone down further a couple more feet. It is darker now. But we finally did get the car out, and we went, settled into the cottage. Spent time in the day. It was coming towards a later part in the afternoon. And I was sitting with my friend on this big log. And we were just watching the sun and going down and going towards the west. And, uh, and there was a thunderstorm on the other side. And I thought, well, I, I love thunderstorms. And uh, so I thought, oh, this is interesting. And as it was coming towards us, the lightning was striking the water again and again at the distance. And I thought, oh my. And the storm was coming closer. And then it was starting to go over the, the town, and you could see the veins of lightning go across. And I thought, how many, how many houses could be powered up by one of those bolts as it was going there and it was going in front of us and it was hitting the water? And I was standing there and the wind started to blow, and the, it was like I was starting to feel the sand blast as the sand was coming against me. And my friend said, I think I'm going to go back to the cottage. But I was stubborn. I thought, no, I'm going to wait this thing out. I'm going to beat that storm. I'm stronger than it. No problem at all. I And I was stubborn. And so there I sat. And the wind got stronger and it blasted further. And the lightning came closer and went over the city. And then, wouldn't you know it, instead of getting towards me, it broke into a horseshoe around me. It's over here. It's over here. It's over here. The wind was blasting me. Not a drop was falling on me. And I was overwhelmed by the power of God in that storm. I couldn't take it anymore, actually. And I had to say, Lord... You are the God of power. In one storm, I had to then say, I can't take this anymore. I've got to leave. I've got to go back to the cottage. This is more power than I can handle. Not one drop was on me. 
And I decided I've been sandblasted enough. The storm was over there, over here, over here, but not over me. God kept me dry in that thunderstorm. I walked over to the cottage, and I can still hear the sound of the lock. As soon as I got in and shut that door, Bang! The rain fell on that roof. And I thought, oh my, what timing is this? God kept me dry through the storm, and once I was in safe, then the rains came. Not one drop was on me, and it was a deluge. That night I realized that God had become the God that I had been seeking, the God encounter of the real kind. That day I realized he is the God of power. He is the God of timing. And with that, I was able to go back and the valley was gone. So people can say to me, God is dead. Funny. He's very alive for me. Might be dead to you because you are dead too. But he's alive to me because I've encountered him at that beach. And life has given that kind of encounter through time and time again so that in a ministry it has never failed. God has allowed me the privilege of having encounters with him of the real kind. I tell you, I would not want to give up my faith for anything this world could offer. Because when we have encountered God, nothing else compares. There's a song that comes very specially to me when I hear it every time. It goes like this. My God and I go in the field together. We walk and talk as good friends shouldn't do. We clasp our hands, our voices ring with laughter. My God and I walk through the valley's hue. He tells me of the years that went before me, when heavenly plans were made for me to be, when all was but a dream of dim reflection to come to life, earth's verdant glory see. My God and I will go for a together. We'll walk and talk as good friends should and do. The earth will pass and with it common trifles. But God and I will go unendingly. But God and I will go unendingly. God loves to encounter us and to receive his presence when we, like Gideon, are there to be that open vessel for him. I can truly say 
that all the songs and prayers are not just ritual and activity. They are reality because this is my life in Jesus. Oh, that the world would discover how available and ready God is for us to encounter him. May you have this privilege time and time and time again. And may those who are around you sense that when they meet you, they have met the living God. Heavenly Father, thank you for letting us be those recipients that can, can encounter you. Encounters of a real kind. The kind that we see in the life of a Gideon, who then goes from a valley all dusty but faithful to leading an army against a multitude. The Bible is written of so many, so many stories that we can recollect of names and encounters with you. Heavenly Father, in, in a world and in sometimes in so many religions that have such fake encounters, such plastic endeavors, cause us to be there for a ready vessel for you to come alongside and reveal yourself to us so that we might enjoy that presence of living faith in you and that we might be with purpose, being your deliverer, being your messenger, being your witness to this world that our God is the awesome God. We pray these mercies in the worthy name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Thank you for letting me be a part of your day once again. Until we meet again.